0: Alright, so episode 50 is about to start, and before I get into it, I just want to thank you guys so much. 50 freaking episodes. It's been such a trip. It's been awesome, and I want to do 50 more, 100 more. I just want to keep this thing going, so please show the support, share this podcast, tell your friends, and I will be greatly appreciative of all that effort. So, in this episode, Karen was amazing. She's the first person I've ever heard um, break down the Turkish getup over audio only and make sense. So that's really cool in this episode. She goes through the whole thing. I ask her specific questions where, you know, certain parts of the Turkish getup where people mess up, how to fix it. And then we also talk about the same old... Uh, nutrition and weight loss and how people can overcome any kind of challenges so stick around let's get this episode started hey guys welcome back to another episode of cut the shit get fit i'm your host rafael mucheshevsky and joining me today is the wonderful karen smith say hello hi how are you guys uh so i like to break the ice with the audience every episode with every guest so can you tell them what you have planned for this weekend
1: what do I have planned for this weekend? Um, well, I just got back from London. So unfortunately nothing super, super exciting. I am catching up on work cause I was gone for a week. So it, that, and of course just, you know, catching up and spending time with my daughter.
0: Nice. I, I hate catching up on emails. That's like the worst thing ever. You come home and you're just like a hundred plus emails and you're like, Oh man, how do I start this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's not, not fun. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so for the audience, can you tell them who you are, what you do and how did you get into this industry?
1: Sure. I will. uh, Let's give the shortest version. Um, I am a uh, certified trainer and I've been training for about 20 years now, but pretty much been in the fitness industry. I mean, or into fitness my whole life. Um, So started personal training after a mentorship because I just really wanted to make sure that I learned from a lot of different people, had a good background before I started taking on my own students. But mostly what I do now is teach certifications and workshops and distance coaching. So uh, I'm a certified master instructor through Strong First, and I'm the chief bodyweight instructor. So I'm, you know, basically keeping up the curriculum and and teaching certifications all over the world, which has been a lot of fun, which is exactly what I was just doing in London. So that was a nice um, trip over there. And uh, like I said, distance coaching is kind of my main thing right now. I'm not um, doing a lot of in-person when I am home. Um, but I've had a gym and, and like I said, been coaching for, for years and just kind of found my niche now that just keeps me busy.
0: Nice. What well, what made you go into the online training realm? Like, was it because it was kind of a new thing at the time or did you just want to have more time to yourself during the day?
1: Um, it was actually because the workshops were picking up. And so I felt like I really couldn't, um, give people enough in person that, you know, if, if, I had somebody that wanted to train more than once or twice a week, I would be canceling on them for all the trips. So I just felt I could cover more ground distance coaching where I could teach them from anywhere. And, um, you know, I, c- I can, always get on Skype. I can, um, you know, do email and text and, and give them their program and, and still communicate and keep them on track without having to have people that were in person. So that's, that's really the main reason is I started traveling so much with workshops that I just didn't have the time to be, you know, spending hours and hours during the, um, week
0: Awesome. Um so I was going to like I asked this to all the coaches that do online training like how do you kind of set it up if you got a brand new client because I find because I started getting into online coaching and I still train in person and when I'm telling my clients that yeah I started online coaching they're like well, what 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 is that? Like how do you do it? So how do you set it up for a brand new person where they kind of have an idea of like what you're going to be doing them for like a program and if you are doing Skype calls like do you critique their Exercises, like how do you kind of set it all up?
1: Yeah, you know what? I think distance is kind of different for everyone. It just depends on how you want to set it up. For me, most of my students, like I said, I've built that niche now where most of the people that come to me, it's for strength. So Uh, And a lot of them are people that I have met all over the world and they just want me to program for them and keep them accountable. So there are a lot of them are other coaches as well. So I don't have to see them all the time. But before I coach anyone um, distance coaching, I will never send out a program without knowing what their technique looks like. So part of the process of getting set up with them is they have to send me videos, and those videos are going to be dependent on whatever their goals are. So if they know kettlebells, then um, and and that's part of their goal, I'm going to have them send me all the basic videos. Like I need to see if you know what your deadlift looks like, um, what your swing looks like, um, squatting, get ups, and if I know all that form is good, then I can design the program that's going to. You know, gear them towards their goal. If it's body weight, same thing. I would want to know what their body weight techniques looks like for strength training, like one arm push ups or regular push ups, pull ups. Um, once I have those, then I will dive into designing their program and sending them all the contact information. Like what is our contract? What is our waiver? What, you know, what do they, I need to expect from them and vice versa so that, you know, that they walk away and they're comfortable with, with that coaching. And then they know that they have to have a weekly check-in. So every week they have to be accountable for what they've been doing. And, um, so we do that. If they're in the U S we, I normally do a a coaching call. Sometimes it's Skype. Sometimes it's just over the phone. Um, if they're out of the country, like either Skype or email, but I want to hold them accountable and know that each week they're having to talk to me about how their week went so that, um, we can make adjustments as needed. You know, you don't want anyone that you're distance coaching to plateau or not be happy. Um, so you have to kind of have that regular communication. And then they know outside of that weekly communication, um, people that I'm coaching, they have priority response. So if I get an email from them outside of their coaching that normal coaching call that they're going to get priority response from me before something that, you know, is just a random email, of someone wanting like free advice.
0: Nice. Do you have like a movement assessment you get them to do first? Or are you like confident that the people that are coming to you, they know how to deadlift, they know how to squat and everything like that. Cause I've had one guy who contacted me. He's like, yeah, I've been training for like five years. My deadlift's at this number. Then he sends me the video. I was like, oh my God, we have a lot of work to do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When I get those videos, if it's way off, And like I said, I'm not going to send a program to someone with skills that they're not proficient in. So the first thing I would do is get on Skype with them and coach them through that movement. And then I also have a video library where I can send out for someone if they're needing to see what technique I'm looking for. And I have them once they video themselves, they can compare. And obviously all bodies are different. So You know, their deadlift might not look exactly like mine, but at least they have an idea of what I'm talking about when I'm like, okay, this is a hinge versus a squat. You need a neutral spine versus rounding in the T spine or the lumbar, or, you know, even cervical spine if they're putting too much pressure there. So I I look at all of those things. Um, I could, if it was someone in person, I would do an FMS screening. But now I've seen so many people over the years through workshops and when I had my gym um, that I can look at a lot of other movements and get an idea of how they would probably screen. And be able to assess from there. So it's definitely videos or Skype um, before the program goes out. So I know that they're doing safe movement. It may not be perfect movement, but as long as it's safe movement, we can move forward.
0: Nice. Now the other thing I was going to ask you is because you're with Strong First, what made you go with Strong First instead of the like uh, Dragon Door and RKC?
1: Well, um, actually I was part of the RKC. Um, that was the first thing. That's where, where Pablo was when I got into, um, kettlebell training. And, um, then over the years I advanced into leadership where I was teaching for the RKC. Um, at the time of the split, um, I was already a senior instructor with, um, the RKC. And then I moved over to strong first with Pavel. obviously because he was my mentor. So it was just a natural transition that just made sense. Um, so I stayed, uh, stayed with him. And, um, a year after that, being with strong first, then I got promoted to master instructor and then another year, um, over into the chief of the body weight and running that division.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Like, cause there's some coaches I'd always try to figure out, like, should I go with the RKC or should I go strong first? Like, because you were on both sides, like, are there any pros and cons to either one? or Are they kind of the same?
1: You know what? I don't know exactly what they've changed to be completely honest. And, um, obviously I'm biased, right? Because yeah. Pavel is my mentor. And so when that, that happened, that was just a, a natural progression for me, as well as most of the the people that were in leadership. Most of us are, are with strong first because of that connection with him. It was his material. And so we're still teaching that. And of course we're always, um, updating that and, and so on. So I, I, I can't really speak for is there a con to go there? I mean, obviously I'm biased and I'm going to want people to go to strong first, but, um, I still have some friends there that, that teach for the RKC and I just don't really dive in and, and find out exactly what it is they're doing now and what they've changed. But obviously the main movements are, are still there. We're still all doing the deadlift. We're still doing swing squats, press snatch and get up and clean. So those are the main six movements. Um, but what they're doing outside of that, I'm really honestly not sure.
0: Yeah. I was curious cause I, cause I, yeah, a lot of coaches even come to me and ask my opinion and I'm like, honestly, it kind of looks the same. Like it's kind of hard not to know the details unless you're actually in it on both sides and then try to compare, but I think either one is kind of like okay if, whichever direction you go into.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, we're we're covering the save movements and you know, for a lot of coaches it's just like any other certification where if you're a coach, you you can get as many certifications as you want and have those letters behind your name, but one, if once you're in leadership for either organization, you're not going to the other one any longer, right? Because it just becomes a conflict of interest, so it's not that one is bad and the other is great it's just this is the one that I'm working for and but I have trained people for their certification right because whoever comes to me it's my job to train them for their goal and if their goal is to go to the RKC or some other certification I'm going to train them to be successful at that goal even if it's not you know where I would want them to go so it's it's really dependent on their goals not mine
0: definitely have you ever seen like bad advice given out there for the kettlebell world at all um, yes,
1: <laughs> there, you have to think of it this way. You know, there's a lot of things that get bashed in, uh, out in social media, right? So forever we've seen things like people getting cross, uh, batting, Talking bad, I can't, I can't even speak right now. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting back last night from London. I'm still adjusting the time zone and like and, and getting back on track. Anyway, so what I'm saying is, there's people bashing all kinds of things online. So for years now, we've been hearing like bad things about CrossFit, but really, like any certification in any organization, there's good and bad in everything, right? So you can have good trainers and and, and bad trainers in both. It's really finding the ones that are really focused on safety and proper movement. That's key because you can do things in CrossFit and be very successful and and safe. If you have great coaches, just like with us. So if people are not, um, working well with what they've been taught and kind of just thinking they have a better way, they normally kind of filter themselves out. I mean, you can't have too many injured clients without it being a really bad billboard for yourself. And that, that kind of starts to kind of show. So, The the bad advice is is really I would say people trying to just get creative and come up with something new and we all know there's really nothing new in fitness right it's just kind of repackaged with a big red you know shiny bow on it and like look I came up with something new and it's really not new it's it's all been around it's just kind of a different different take on something that's already been there
0: yeah because I find when you're like teaching clients how to use kettlebells it's it takes such a long time to actually make it look clean and perfect and nice like it's just another skill that you need to develop. And there's a lot of people that, yeah, we'll go on Instagram and like, oh, that looks cool. I'm going to try that tomorrow.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Everyone's an expert on social media. And so they just want to see things that look cool. And, you know, even times I'll talk about how, yeah, it looks fancy and sexy. So they want to try it without really diving into why you're doing it a certain way. Um, and, And kettlebells in particular, there's so much out there and people really like to try to use them as if they're just dumbbells. And it really is different because of the weight distribution you know, where it's, you know, with a dumbbell, it's spread out and with the kettlebell, it's all, you know, in that vertical position, especially if you're pressing or something like that. Um, So we, we do do them a little bit differently than a lot of people you may see on, on social media.
0: Now, what's your opinion about the, I think it's called the, what the American swing where the kettlebell like goes directly over your head and then you come back down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. I get that. I get that a lot. Um, I'm not going to say that it is bad, But it is bad the way most people do that. Um, What I mean by that is if you see someone that's doing a swing overhead, most times they're doing a more squatty type swing and they're pulling the bell overhead and then hyperextending in the low back. And then you also see them when they get their arms up overhead in order to try to get the bell basically by the ears And having their hands in that really narrow grip of the handle, they don't have the proper T-spine or shoulder mobility. So it forces them to kind of chicken neck, if that makes sense. Like they're sticking their head out really far forward to get it in that locked out position. And they're also bending their elbows because they can't lock out that narrow due to that lack of mobility. And then it forces them to hyperextend. And that's when it becomes bad. If you can stay braced as if your body is a standing plank and you have the proper T-spine and shoulder mobility, then if you hinge and get into the two-handed overhead, then that is probably fine for most people, but you need that mobility first. So that's when it, I would say it is it is bad. Um, but other than that, it's just different.
0: Yeah. I remember like I once tried a, a CrossFit class and they had swings in there and of course it was American swings. And the one thing I noticed was like all the guys would grab the heaviest kettlebell and like the momentum coming back down was like almost like shifting their whole body weight forward. And I'm like, man, good thing. We're only doing this for 30 seconds because anything over like the things will just fall apart.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, like I said, good and bad and everything, I've been to CrossFit myself and, um, had some great coaches. There's a really good CrossFit gym here right by my house. And so I go there from time to time and I've learned a lot from them. And I love, you know, being that continual student and learning different ways and different philosophies. But there are things that I'm going to, you know, I told them when I went in, like, this is one skill that I'm not, um, comfortable doing I would rather do the Russian swing that's what I teach and there's reasons why I prefer that and if they're cool with it and they knew that right off the bat before I signed up with them and that there were just things that I was not willing to do and compromise on and if they were okay with me doing them the way that um, I felt comfortable then that was a good place for me to be with them if they were absolutely like no you have to do this this and this then I probably wouldn't have signed up there
0: yeah, I, I think it's also like with CrossFit gyms, the way it's set up is just better for our type of training because they have everything you need. Whereas if you went to like a big commercial gym, it's like, all right, the squat rack's in that corner. Now I've got to walk all the way here for the dumbbells. And then there's this thing over here to do like a core exercise. It's just the logistics of a big box gym it just doesn't really work out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And when you haven't been in one in a while, like, I mean, it's been a long while. And when I go in, it's almost like I'm lost because I'm like, okay, let's let's modify (laughs) what am I going to do and I I normally will just find what I need and kind of take it to a corner um and still do you know what I would normally do if I were anywhere else
0: it's always the worst when you're trying to find a squat rack and all the guys are in it doing bicep curls or like calf races I'm like come on man (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's awesome Yeah. yeah it's it's uh it's a sight for sure
0: um, so the thing I wanted to kind of get into now we're talking about kettlebells is like the Turkish get up. And I know there's a lot of people that have never done it and they've seen it. They're like, Oh, that's really cool. How would be the best way for a beginner to kind of learn the movements? Like, do you break it down into steps or do you coach it all the way through and then adjust them as they go? Like what's kind of your method and maybe tips and tricks on how to get that perfect?
1: Well, I will definitely coach them through the movement Um, obviously body weight first, just to see how their body moves. And if we hit a sticking point just in that process, then that's where we stop. So you stop, you reassess, you pattern that movement or work mobility, stability, like whatever the issue is, that's keeping them from getting in the proper movement and then build on those steps. So for some people, you might start from the top down. If they're having trouble getting off the ground, other people, we start from the ground up, um, and then meet somewhere in the middle where they're having a good fluid movement. It's not jerky. It's, it's just really nice and it should almost look pretty (laughs) and I'd say that it should be really graceful Um, but a lot of people are lacking in that mobility and you have to find out which one it is is it shoulder issues is it hip issues ankle mobility or maybe they're lacking in stability you know you try to get someone to prop up on their hand and swoop their leg through and if they're not stable in that joint it's it's not something that I would load and have them go through the full movement baby steps are, are great and you just find where they're good and they're comfortable and where their body can can do the proper movement and build on it over time. Um, as far as where to see that, um, there's a lot of options out there. I have videos out there. I have articles. Um, there's also a book that Pavel wrote It's called simple and sinister. And it's a program that's just swings and get ups. And it's really, really, um, efficient, proficient, like people can, can do that, you know, with only having one bell and build on that over time. And in that book, um, he had me break down each of the steps. So if you look at the photos, you can see exactly what steps next. We do that with a shoe before we load that with a weight. And the reason for doing the shoe, when you balance a shoe on your fist, It forces you to keep your wrist and your your arm vertical. So if you bend at the wrist, which happens a lot when someone puts a bell in their hand as they want to kind of really hyperextend and and bend the wrist back, um, that's a weak place to be. So you want to think about your body, your arm being a column as if it were trying to hold up a building. And if it got any cracks in it, then that building would crumble. So that's the kind of cue that I give for people is you want that nice straight wrist and straight arm so that, um, one, you're keeping a bell overhead in a safe position, um, and not having an opportunity to basically drop it on your head or your face. Um, so, so that's one of the best places to start.
0: Nice. Like I know, like when I teach a brand new client to get up and we start off the floor, I find a lot of people when they try to get up that initial like get up part, you'll see a lot of times like their foot that's extended out straight always pops up. Like what are your cues or ways to clean that up from their heel popping up because they're having a trouble just coming across and getting up to that elbow?
1: Well, you know what? There's a couple reasons for that. And so it depends on the reason. Um, Most of the time, their core is not strong enough to be able to get in that position. So what I have them do one is I assess, are they rolling to the forearm or are they trying to do a crunch? So if they're crunching, it's going to happen more. So you don't want to be trying to sit straight up. It's almost like you're leading from your chest kind of at a diagonal so that when you have that extended arm and extended leg, it's about 45 degrees, um, away from the body. And you're pushing, so you're basically digging into the ground with your elbow and extending and pushing through your foot. So if you're pushing through the heel of your foot and that arm on that side, and you're kind of doing that slight roll to the side versus a crunch, then people have a better tendency of getting that that movement down. And then, of course, just get them stronger in their core, and that will be easier as well.
0: Nice. Now, the other thing I was going to ask you, like in that first position, as they're coming up, the opposite leg that's bent... Do you allow the knee to cave in as they're coming up or do you want it pushing out to the side?
1: It can cave while they're coming up, but you do want to readjust it as they're up. So it's just kind of that movement. I mean, you're going to the side. Um, If you engage that glute that you're pushing, so you're pushing through both feet and your arm that's on the ground, and then you engage your glute and drive in that kind of that diagonal roll. Um, it will, especially as it's loaded heavy, it's going to go in that same direction with you. So it looks to some as it's caving, but it's just getting in that proper position and then you want to open it back up. So if it caves really far, you just don't leave it down. You're going to want to make sure that you get that shin vertical again. And, um, it also depends on everyone's mobility and where they're putting that foot, which will help in that position as well.
0: Yeah. Because I know a lot of people like ask about that and like, to me, I'm like, you know, if it goes in a little bit, like I don't see the big deal. Like as long as you're getting up and everything else looks good, why not?
1: Right. As long as you're keeping the foot planted, that's the thing. Is A lot of times once the knee caves and people want to roll to that inside of their foot and that's where they leave it laying down. And they're not using that same pressure of pushing through the foot and feeling the proprioception and being rooted to the ground. Um, it just becomes soft once you cave and leave it there.
0: Now, the other thing that I find so interesting is like after you get up and then you do the sweep through with the leg, you find a lot of interesting stuff with your, that client you're working with. And I think the big one is either people don't have like the hip mobility to get that leg underneath smoothly and they're not dragging their foot across the gym or <laughs> other or the other knees like caving in and they're like their whole chest like drops forward like, do you find that it's usually just hip mobility or like T-spine mobility that causes all that mess to happen?
1: You know, it's a little of both because once you get to that position, um, I would say more often than not, it's, it's knee. I mean, it's, it's hip mobility, um, having being able to turn the hip to the side and swoop the leg through. So what I normally do is I try to break that down into two movements. For most people as students, I feel that they get it quicker than just that one smooth swoop. And so what I'll have them do is they're sitting with that extended leg and then the obviously bent leg is is back to vertical. So I have them think about swooping their heel of the straight leg to the toe of the other foot so making almost like the same 90 degree angle right yeah. then lifting the hip and pulling the knee back towards the hand. So when you break it up like that and you think of heel to toe and then knee to hand, it just makes sense to people versus trying to swoop and then, instead they're like tucking the toe under the knee and you get into all these really weird positions. Um, but if you break it down into those two steps, I, most people seem to get it.
0: Oh, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Cause like, yeah, you're right. People like they almost end up like doing a weird breakdancing move and they don't even know where their legs going. And it's like all over <laughs> the place. And you're like, okay, let's do this one more time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it can be very entertaining and Um, how much that, you know, because sometimes people just can't feel where that leg's going and just understanding and feeling their own body movement. So it just takes time to pattern it and practice each step. And then when it, when you've perfected it and it's in a safe position, then build on that.
0: Yeah. I I think the other hard one is like, as they're coming back down from the get up, like the hand position, like sometimes when people come back down, they're almost like so bunched up and their shoulders like poking forward. And it just like, looks like out of place. So how do you kind of coach or what are your like, cues for proper hand position when they come back down?
1: Well, one of the quickest ways to get people in the proper hand position, because so often when you tell people they need to come back to the ground, they're basically like leaning back and trying to find the ground behind them when really, obviously the ground's not going anywhere, right? So if you are in that um, tall kneeling position, you've windshield wiped your leg. What we do at times is put the hand on the, that down hip and swoop that hand out straight in line with your knee. So a couple inches um, away from your knee. So it forms a straight line right on the back. It's like hand, knee, ankle, toe, and everything's in alignment. But what you do is when you swoop, you actually hinged, um, let's just say you're doing a right-sided get-up. You're hinging your hip slightly to the right after you've done the windshield wipe and then swoop that uh, the left hand over to the ground in front of the, uh, like just straight off from the knee and that's normally the quickest way to get someone in position versus, you know, they're leaning back and trying to find the ground behind them and it, that way it's just, it's just not super safe and it makes it harder to, you know, have that tripod base to kind of kick the leg back through.
0: That's awesome. You're really good explaining this through audio only. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I can okay. only imagine cause it's tough to like even like show somebody in person how to do it, but everything you're saying, I'm like, I totally get this.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know what we, maybe we should do when you, uh, when you post is have a link to a video so that while yeah. they're listening it they can watch it and reference like exactly, um, you know what that movement is because a lot of people are like, what's the windshield wipe? Like, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's, it, it'll make more sense if they actually see it.
0: Yeah. That'll be a good idea. I'll do that for sure. Um, where was I going to go with this? I was going to shift the focus a little bit to like non really fitness related because the big thing that I've been talking about is making like a fitness a priority for clients and Mm -hmm. the interesting thing for me because I primarily train all moms and there's some moms that I train that you know they'll come in two to three times a week and no matter what happens in their life they're so committed and they're gonna show up each week and nothing can basically stop them and then I have other moms that you know, coming in one day a week is the hardest thing for them to actually accomplish. So I find it interesting how people kind of, you know, take on life stress and you being a mom as well and having your own business and doing these workshops and training on top of it. How do you make fitness a priority or like, how do you find time? Like, what are your things that you do?
1: You know what? I, it's, it's a good question. And it really is going to vary depending on the person, right? Because we all have a different mindset when it comes to training and some people do it because they feel like they have to. And that's those that's the people that are going to get most distracted, right? They're forcing themselves to do something that they're not super, super passionate about because they feel like they have to, and then they fall off the wagon. Um, it's the ones that are passionate about it and actually enjoy it that find a better time of making it that priority. But with children, I try to tell people all the time, nothing is an ideal situation. So we can have our week planned, our day planned, whatever. And with kids, it always gets thrown off, right? Especially in summer. I mean, my daughter, I've been gone for a week and she's out of school and she wants, she's like, when are we going? Let's go. Let's go. There's something that she wants to do with friends. And I'm like, well, it's going to have to wait until I'm done with this podcast. And then I'll be happy to take you to do whatever, you know, it is that she wants to do. But what I try to tell moms is when that happens, just give yourself grace. Like don't beat yourself up because you can't do something or the kids have kind of taken you off track because that's just going to be an added stress and added stress. We all know is going to increase cortisol levels and then that just wreaks havoc on us. So if you give yourself grace and understand that this is the time that you should be enjoying your kids and it's going to go by fast. So do what you can with them there, you know, and the more they see you enjoying fitness versus hating it um, or complaining about it, that's what they're going to model. And if, so when they're young, I say definitely get out to the parks with them, do fun movements that they can see you enjoying with them. They can be a part of, and then it makes it easier because when they're little, they want to do that with you. Um, once they get older, like right now, my daughter's like, yeah, that's not fun anymore to me. Like she's doing cheerleading and she has her own, you know, way of doing things. And every now and then she'll say, Hey, you want to do this workout with me that I've designed. And as a coach, I have to go, okay, this is not my time to coach her. She's like wanting to do this right now. Just follow her plan and have fun with it. Um, but if you just build things into your day and, and move right versus beating yourself up, I'd say that's the biggest thing. And then get out with your kids as much as you can. And if you do love it and you can fit the time into your schedule, then make that schedule just as important as any other appointment. You know, you wouldn't cancel your doctor's appointments last minute. You would go you would find a way to make it happen because you know, they're going to charge you if you don't show up. So you have to kind of treat your training, even if you're just going to the gym by yourself and you're not with a trainer at that point, you have to treat it. It's a priority. So if you're going to put it on your schedule, um, find a way that it works in your life that also works with your kids and, and be able to enjoy it and not stress over it.
0: Yeah. You said a lot of great things in that, uh, answer. (laughs) Um, so the first thing, like, when people yeah you're right when people enjoy exercise and moving it's so much easier for them but again like not every client is like oh i can't wait to go to the gym they're like oh i have to go to the gym and i'm always trying to figure out ways how to make it fun for them and not kind of like you know being that yeah let's do this thing kind of coach but (laughs) like it's like with my wife like she absolutely hates exercise but when we work out together she has fun because it's like something we're doing together And I'm like, finally, I figured out how to get her into the gym. But then with other clients, like, have you ever had a situation where the client that you were working with just didn't really like exercise? And did did you find a way to kind of break through that barrier at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You have to find, like, what's ideal for them, you know? and, and what type of fitness they enjoy. So just because they come to me and I'm like, okay, we're going to, you know, use body weight and kettlebells and barbells and whatever to get to the goal that they've set that they want me to help them get to. If those things aren't fun for them, then I have to find something that works or I have to refer them to someone who specializes in what is fun for them because it can't be my goal for them. It has to be, what is their goal and what's the best way to get them there? And sometimes it's something outside of, you know, maybe not my specialty. And so that's where um, I'll refer out to people that I know are in that specialty that's going to help them get to their results in that fun manner that's going to keep them there.
0: Yeah. Like, I remember I had one client that started with me, and she's like, yeah, you know, it's fun, but I I really prefer, like, doing Zumba. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to have, like, blasting top 40 remixed songs and then, like, do a dance routine with you, but – if you want to continue, like, that's cool, but if you leave, I will not like, be offended at all. So I think, yeah, it comes down to what a client really wants, and maybe when they sign up with a coach, they don't really know what to expect, and then they realize, like, oh, maybe this is not for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and, and there are things over time that they may think they want, and, um, you know, sometimes we know the best path to get them there but at the same time in the beginning you have to give them a little bit of what uh, what they want and a little bit of what they need and then over time as you build that trust and they're comfortable with you um and you've built that relationship then you can slowly decrease some of the what they think they want and give a little bit more of what they need and and kind of have a happy medium to where they're they're sticking with it they're getting the results and you know, they're, they're your billboard. And if they're, if you're constantly just giving them what you think they need and none of what they want, they're not going to be a very good billboard for you. And so it's just something to think about and, and making sure that, you know, that you're a right fit for each other.
0: Yeah, definitely. Now, the other thing, going back to like another answer about, um, kids, the thing that I've noticed is that when clients bring their kids to the gym because they couldn't get a babysitter or it's summer, the interesting thing is, like, they're, when their kids are watching their parents, like, usually it's the mom working out, always after when they're done their workout, I can always hear the kids, are like, oh, so when can I come to the gym? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a Absolutely. big thing, like, having your kids see you exercise, because then they're like, oh, I want to do that too. And I think that's so freaking awesome and cool that already at a young age, you're like, oh, I want to exercise with mom.
1: Right. It's because they've made it look fun, you know? And it's, if we're constantly complaining about it and it's not fun, why would anyone ever want to do it? Especially a little kid. They're like, that looks miserable. She's happy. She's complaining about it. Like, that's not something I want to add to my life, you know? But if you make it fun, I mean, it's, my daughter was in the gym with me. I opened the gym when she was um, about four. And so she was always there watching it. And now she knows how to do programs. I mean, she's 13 now and she can write her own programs. She sometimes gets you know, really gung ho and, and does her own thing and outside of what she has to do at cheer for, you know, not six to nine hours a week. So, um, there's a lot of great options, but yeah, the more you make it fun for them and, and stuff like that, the, the better it'll be.
0: Would you want your daughter to ever become a coach like you, or would you want her to do something else?
1: You know what? It it really just depends on what she wants. Honestly, like I wouldn't want her to get into a career because she thinks that's what I want. I want it to be something she's passionate about because, you know, what we say if like if you do what you love, you never feel like you're working a day in your life. Mm-hmm. And so whatever it is that she finds she's passionate about right now, it's what she thinks that she wants to do is – is all makeup and hair. And I mean, she'll sit on YouTube for hours and just watch videos and she's really <laughs> good at it. So if that's what she wants to do, then I'm all for her doing what she's passionate about. You know, I'm not one of those. It's like, no, you have to be <laughs> a doctor or a lawyer yeah. or this or that so that it's really great money. Um, I think you can make what you need if it's something you're passionate about because people will feel that passion and want to be around and, and have you know, that's the people that they're going to hire, the people that really love what they do and not feel like they're just every morning having to go to a job that they hate.
0: Yeah, because I don't think uh, I've seen it just yet. Like someone in our industry that has been around for a while and their kids want to get into the same thing they're doing because our industry is pretty young. But I think that'd be kind of cool if, you know, maybe 20 years down the road that all the coaches that we've been following, their kids are doing the same thing. (laughs)
1: Yeah, absolutely. It it would be neat to see. And of course I'd love her too. I think she would be really good at it. You know, she's, she's seen it for so long and, and knows, you know, she can look at people doing kettlebells and know right off the bat if they're doing improper form. Um, but I told her really young too. I'm like, you can't tell adults what they need to fix because coming (laughs) from a kid, it just sounds, you know, like you're being disrespectful and, and they don't know that she's been around it so long and knows exactly what she's talking about. But it's, um, it would be neat to see if it's, if that's the path that she went, but, um, yeah, whatever she decides she wants to do, I'm, I'm supportive.
0: Yeah. That's a tough thing. Like, cause I remember when I came into this industry and started training people, I was like 19 and I was dealing with like, say a person that was 42 and he was like a multimillionaire who was really successful. And I was like, is he really going to listen to me? Cause I, I always try to put myself to act a little bit older than I was, to make sure I didn't, didn't come across as like this young kid that doesn't know anything and can't relate to this person. So, I, I, cause I was having a conversation with a new coach I was kind of going through their certification process. And she was asking me like, Oh, so like what should I do to like kind of, you know, start my career? Cause I was telling her, cause when I first started, I started at a big box gym and I absolutely hated it. And Honestly, I don't think I've even really learned anything because they kind of just threw me on the floor. They're like, go sell, go sell personal training, like there's no tomorrow, and I had a sales quota, and it was just like a bad time for me. Yeah, so, that's so miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the worst thing ever. Like I was like, I'm here to help people and train them and not like sell $5,000 every month of personal training. Um so what advice do you have for new coaches getting into the industry like knowing what you know now? What would, what would you like suggest to them to kind of get started?
1: Well, it, it is a barrier as young trainers that you really kind of have to, to work through and be patient with. It can be very frustrating. Um, but in the beginning it's when you're really young, it, it is hard. You have to earn the respect, um, by getting people the results, keeping them safe and and really having the knowledge. Um, you may have to approach it a little bit differently. And I, one of my first, um, trainers that I had in my gym, um, she was a student first and she picked up really quick and wanted to get certified. She was one of the youngest to get certified. You have to be, um, at the time with the RKC, you had to be 18 and I'm not sure if that's the same now, um, through strong first it is, um, so she went to the certification and came back and was one of my best trainers, but she was eager and, you know, to continue learning. But it it was frustrating because there was times when she would be like telling people to do stuff and they wouldn't really take it as serious as they probably should because it was coming from her. And so, you know, we kind of worked through that a lot and she became a really, really great trainer and it just took patience and and really having the knowledge of why you're doing something. So you need to know you know, be able to tell them why, not just to do it, but why are you having them do that and let them understand that, that they, that you do know what you're talking about, even if you are way younger than them.
0: Yeah, I think a big one, like if I had to go back and start my career over, I would like to like intern at like a big, big gym, like say Mike Boyle strength and conditioning or Eric Cressy or something like that. And like, if I spent one year there, the amount of knowledge you would learn within that year is like huge. Like, whereas now like, especially like millennials or even the younger generation coming in, they're already thinking about like, well, how much money can I make with like this degree or something like that? Or I think internships are kind of overlooked because you can learn so much information from that.
1: Absolutely. I, I did that myself. I worked at a uh, private training gym that had 15 trainers and I interned first, like I follow each one of them around and learn different aspects. And I think it, it made me a better trainer. And I, I think the hard thing now with new trainers, like you said, it's it's about what how much money am I gonna make and how quickly can I make it. So everyone's wanting to jump on the distance coaching bandwagon because it's it seems cool, but you need that time in front of people. I tell everyone, like you should work in person in a gym, in a big gym. Um when you start out, because you're going to learn different body types. You're going to learn so much about people. And while the, you know, the sales quotas are complete pain. Um, if you don't want to go through that process, then definitely intern at one because you're going to, um, not do yourself justice or your students justice. If you try to straight jump into distance coaching, when you haven't been in front of people, like it's, it's so important to have that time and early on in your career and then move on to the other things.
0: Yeah, that's a tough thing because that's a big trend now. It's like someone gets certified. They're like, yeah, I'm just going to do online coaching. And they have, like, no experience at all with another individual other than, like, training themselves. And they're like, oh, if I can do it, then everybody else can do what I'm doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You have to have to have some uh, trial and error out there to, to kind of really know what you're doing when it comes down to just programming. It's not like a cookie cutter, like, I'll just program this way for everyone. So you have be- to know which works different
0: for yeah. each person. So that being said, like, the fact that there's so many like I would call them fake Instagram trainers and then there's like actual trainers that like, you know, open their own gym. They struggled from like waking up at 430 in the morning every day and going home at 8 p.m. just to run the business. Like, do you feel like the fitness industry as a whole is failing the general population with good information?
1: Um, gosh, that's a good question. I think in a lot of ways, Yes. Um, but then a lot of ways, like you have more outlets now, there's so many places to find information and so many great trainers and great programs out there that you really have to find the one that works best for you. But where we're doing an injustice is there's still so many myths that are still just constantly being repeated. And so much information on social media that is not correct as far as form and stuff like that. And your average person doesn't know the difference. They just go, wow, this person has a big following and what they're doing looks cool. I'm going to do that versus really knowing why we're doing things the way that we do. So that's another thing is if you've never had a trainer, um, I would say if you're new to fitness, then have a person train you in person and, and, and that's hard to say because obviously I'm doing more distance coaching now. Um, but you need that experience where someone can have hands on, you're going to get the best results that way early on. But if you're already skilled and you've had a trainer or you've been active and an athlete and in fitness, most of your life, then distance is a really good way to go because it can be done, you know, basically from anywhere. And you can really find that person that's kind of top notch in that area that you're wanting to be trained through and do that from anywhere
0: yeah like I think personally like yeah we're kind of our industry with all the good people out there we're slowly getting into like the mainstream like media for that large audience because I've been following that uh, I don't know if you've seen it like the article of like the top 100 fitness professionals you need to follow and I think I've been following now for four years and like four years ago when it first I don't know if it started back then but like, the top people always are, like, Gwyneth Paltrow, Michelle Obama, and, like, other, like, <laughs> celebrities, essentially. But the last few years, at the very, very, very bottom, you'll see people like, you know, Tony Gentlecore or, like, Lee Boyce, or Grey Cook, but they're, like, number 100 to, like, 90, like, really, really at the bottom. But hopefully, like, over the years, like, they'll kind of keep creeping up. Because, like, a big example is, like, Ben Bruno. He's been training all these supermodels and actors and he's like right into Hollywood and he's like a really great coach so that was like a first step into like mainstream for us
1: yeah absolutely well here's the problem we all look at those lists and go oh okay that's great these are people we should follow but who's making the list right yeah the person making the list they're going to put their favorites on there And if they're not really deep into fitness, it's going to be all of the stars, right? Because those are the people that they're seeing public versus seeing the people that are really like in the trenches, you know, continuing to learn, continuing to grow and that have been doing training for a long while. And then some of them are just like Instagram celebrities, right? Oh, this person's doing fitness. So they must be the one to follow. And I'm not saying that's always the case. There's a lot of those lists that have great um, people on them. A lot of my colleagues... Um, are out there. A lot of uh, Girls Gone Strong is on there and, and you know, trying to just build that following for what, you know, for our mission. But, it, it really depends on who's making that list. So you just kind of have to take that with a grain of salt for some of them and realize that, you know, I'm not going to go hire Michelle Obama. It's great that she, <laughs> that she <laughs>
0: yeah. you know,
1: is into fitness, but she's not out coaching people. Right. So, and she's got great arms and somebody's probably helped her, but that's, she's not the person I'm going to be like, Oh yeah, that's who I want to coach me. Um, and I don't mean that in any disrespect at all, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, just yeah, because definitely. someone's an Insta Instagram celebrity, Facebook, YouTube, whatever, doesn't necessarily mean that they are out training or should be. It's just something maybe they're passionate about. Maybe they're more of an enthusiast, like Gwyneth Paltrow, if, if you want to call her that.
0: Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like the more I see now is like there's so many different like people coming out with like fitness products or their own programs that are just you know snake oil essentially. And recently, one of my clients sent me through like Facebook Messenger. This lady, I can't remember. I think it was something on the lines of like the cellulite guru or something like that. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay, let's, let's click this and see what it is. And there's some lady, I don't know where she's from, but she developed a stick roller that can mm-hmm. break up cellulite. I'm like, right. awesome. <laughs> and now, ever since I clicked that link through Facebook Messenger, every single ad on my Facebook feed is that woman's videos. And I'm like, no. <laughs> And it's, like, it's interesting that these people that come out with these, like, bizarre products or just bad information, they have such a large, like, marketing and advertising budget to get to so many people. Mm -hmm. And I keep playing with the idea, like, one of us in our industry that are really top of their career should just do something like that, have something really flashy to get people's attention, but the information's, like, solid.
1: Yeah. You know what? Those, again, they they do get a big following, but... It's it's normally a, a try to get rich quick scheme, yeah. and like I said, there's there's really not that much new in fitness. It's just how it's packaged and presented. And if they're really good and they have the, you know, the cash base to kind of put out there for their marketing, then. But it's it's gonna weed itself out, you know, yeah. and maybe they'll get a lot of sales in the beginning, and then people realize that it's. It's just another tool, like anything else. Then it kind of fades out. you know, think about the shake weight, right? <laughs> Someone <laughs> yeah. was like, "I'm gonna get rich on this," and then now it's just basically like laughed upon and, and made fun of. And you see all the the funny videos for shake weights. And I think there's also <laughs> a new one that's if you haven't seen it, it's pretty comical. It's like a tug weight.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, tug which toner is... or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was... So it's it's the, interesting yeah the funny thing with the shake weight because i was reading an article that when it came out it was the number one sold product on television in history and i was like holy crap it's either people buying it because they think it works or because it's stupid and funny <laughs> yeah it's
1: like the biggest gag gift right yeah and then some people are just like oh this is cool maybe this will really get my arms toned
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let's get back on track because I wanted to get, yeah. in, <laughs> get into one topic that I've been throwing in recently is this whole idea of firing clients. Cause I've had an experience with one of my online clients and their in-person coach fired them. And I was kind of like on the fence about their decision. So I was wondering what your opinion is about firing clients, if they're not adherent or doing what you're telling them to do.
1: Um, you know what it's, That's another great question because I think special, let's go back to new trainers, right? When you're just getting started, you need to pay the bills. And so you probably are more fearful of letting someone go. That's not a good fit for you because you're like, oh my gosh, now I got to find someone to fill that, that time slot. But you're doing yourself and them an injustice if it's not a good mix. So like early on, I said, I was talking about how your students or your clients or your billboard. And if they're not adhering to what you want them to do, they're not going to be a very good billboard for you. You know what I'm saying? Like if someone's walking around and they're like, oh yeah, I train with Karen and nothing's changing about them. That doesn't look good for me. It's going to make me look like I don't know what I'm doing when it's maybe they're not adhering to what they should be doing. You know, cause I can train you all day long, but if you're like, you know, go from training to, you know, the McDonald's run through <laughs> drive through on the way home, yeah. <laughs> like you might not be getting the results, you know, you're sabotaging. And if you're sabotaging yourself, you're sabotaging me. So I will, I will have a stern like conversation with like, you know, how badly do you really want this? Because until you want it, you know, I might not be the best fit for you right now. And so nowadays I would fire a student if it's something that, you know, after we talk about it and if if it continues, because I have other people that are, you know, basically on a wait list and that want training. And I'm not going to keep that slot full with someone who's really not doing what they should be doing. I'm not here just to take someone's money. Um, I want to take the money and, and get you the results that you want and need, um, so that I can, you know, be beneficial to you. I'm not going to just like go through the motions just to kind of have that paycheck. So that's, you know, where I feel like, yes, if it's not a good match and I'm having to argue with someone or why are you not doing this? Why are you not doing that? Um, then I'm going to definitely approach the, Hey, maybe this isn't a good fit. Maybe you need to move on, or I can refer you to someone that you might be a better fit with.
0: I think, um, like, do you have like an, almost like an application process for online coaching?
1: Um, you know what? I, I don't, but, okay. um, most of the people, like I said, I've kind of built because I did so much time in person and I've done so, you know, I've traveled so much and met so many people all over the world. Most of the people that come to me nowadays, I already know. Um, and I only take on, um, normally somewhere between five and 10 people, you know, per month. Because I want to be able to give them the most time that I can in between travel. So I'm not someone that's just gonna, you know, just keep taking people on if I don't have the time to be able to give you what you need. So I, I very often refer out. And um when people first, you know, send me an email like, hey, I'm interested, I get on a phone call with them. There is a free consult where it's voice to voice, you know, I know exactly what you want, you know what I want, and if it's not a fit right off the bat, I'm going to refer you to one of my colleagues that fits that. I mean, one perfect example is I refer people out all the time for nutrition because it's not my specialty. You know, I can give you common sense, like do this, do that, but I'm not going to do meal plans. It's just not something that I'm excited or passionate about. So I'm going to refer people to my colleagues that are really great at that. So that's kind of where I kind of weed out like the, you know, the people that I'm taking on
0: okay that makes sense because like i know um andy morgan who has a really great online successful business for training he has an application process and if the people applying don't meet a certain criteria he'll refer them to another coach because i can tell he has a high standard of who he's looking for to train because if you've ever been on his website he has like over 400 testimonials of like before and after photos of all these guys trying to get ripped And I can tell like that's kind of like his niche and like he wants people to be actually dedicated for a certain length of time in order to do that. So he I guess he kind of looks at it like if he took on someone that's kind of like on the fence, like, yeah, I guess I'll put some effort into it or maybe not. Then he's just wasting time for another person that really wants that spot and has been waiting for like, say, three months to actually work with Andy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I mean, some people are really good at just coming in and filling out information to me. I want to, I want to actually speak to them. And so that's where, and it still is kind of, I guess that, that questionnaire, but it's in person. Like anyone who contacts me, I'm going to be like, let's set up a time to chat. I'm going to tell them the details of how my coaching works and I'm going to pull out of them what they want and what their, they think their goals are. Because if I just send you my pricing I mean, if, if you don't know what it is you're getting for that and don't actually communicate with me, then they may just turn around and go, yeah, that's too expensive for me. But if I talk to them and we communicate about what I can do for you and what you, you want me to do, then, um, when it comes down to price, it's not as big a deal. So you don't want to just turn someone off. But at the same time I get where questionnaires can be really great, but I like to have that one-on-one like voice communication of like, what can I do for you? And let's see if this is a good match right off the bat.
0: And I think the big thing for me was like with my experience with that other coach firing my client was that he didn't like create an exit strategy for that client. They just kind of left her high and dry to kind of go figure it out on your own. And when I was like thinking about the situation, it's like, well, what are the chances now for that client to go find another coach? Like you kind of like, you know, beat her down a little bit. She might not feel confident to ask another coach for help. Whereas if you said, like, you know, this relationship's not really working out, but I found another person that would be suited better with you, here you go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't like leaving people like that, and that's that's just going to leave a bad taste, you know? Just like with anything else, let's use the example of kettlebells, right? How many times have we heard kettlebells are bad. They hurt my back. Yeah. Well, no, kettlebell didn't hurt your back. What you were doing improperly hurt your back. So same thing with a trainer. Like if a trainer leaves a bad taste, then that person is going to be like, trainers aren't great. Oh my gosh. They're, or they, they yell at me all the time They're this or that they're going to have that bad taste versus, um, you know, what we really can do for them out there. So it's, it's hopefully, you know, something that you give them the best exit, like you said, a best exit strategy so they can move forward without just having that bad, yeah. bad experience.
0: Uh, so the other thing I was going to ask you is like, have you changed your mind about anything in the fitness and health industry for the last, like, say, year or two?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about in the last year or two. I mean, I'm definitely continuing to learn and I always love being the student and going to other people's um, workshops and, and learning different things. <clears throat> but I don't know that my my philosophies over the last year have changed, but they definitely have changed. Over like a maybe the last decade, you know, I was definitely <clears throat> one of those trainers that thought I needed endless amounts of cardio and lightweights <clears throat> to get lean and tone <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice. versus
1: uh, lifting heavy. You know, I was under the same, same Um, mindset or myth. You say like, I was afraid I was going to get bulky just like anyone else. So I was like, Oh, really high reps, lightweight. And now I know that that's not necessarily the case. Like most people need to lift heavier weights, um, to be able to get their body in the definition that they really want. And then of course, you know, eat pretty clean because you have to yeah have to eat well to, uh, have results also.
0: Well, the other thing that kind of goes into this is like the whole idea of body image for women and, I've always been asking any kind of like, especially from Girls Gone Strong, I've always asked this question is like, how do you help other women that constantly have negative self-talk? Like they could be even like fit and ripped and everything. And they're like, oh, my ankles are too fat. Like, how do you, (laughs) how how do you like combat that to make sure they're not leaving you or in in a kind of a bad negative space? Like, how do you kind of help them with that?
1: Um, you know what, that is, that is a, a completely different type of training, right? Like yeah. you have to start, you have to start training the mind and it's all about mindset, positive visualization, um, baby steps. You can't just expect someone to 100% drop that mindset that they've had most of their life. Um, but one thing that I do with women is I know there's a lot of women that want to pick out this supermodel, right? Like this is the body that I want. And until I get that, I'm not happy. However, the picture that they've picked out and put on their fridge is nowhere near their body type, right? So they've already sabotaged themselves from the start. So what I tell them is if you have this ideal body that you want, find someone that has your body type. And then, if you need to use that as motivation, that's completely fine. It is not a bad thing to want to look better, um, but it's how we beat ourselves up about it. Like we talk worse to ourselves than we would to any person that came in contact with us. You know, we almost bully ourselves. And so, there's there's ways to go about it, but it's a lot of mindset coaching and visualization and like seeing where you want to be but speaking nice to yourself and it, it takes a while. It takes a long while, especially if there's someone who's had, um, an eating disorder or something like that. Like that's like a whole nother world. You know, you have to kind of get them in with somebody who specializes and understands that and has been there because it's not something, I mean, I beat myself up too. still to this day. I'm not going to lie. There's, you know, we all want to look a certain way and, um, So I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but body image and thinking that we're way heavier than we are, um, then yeah, that's definitely mindset and uh, it's a different approach. You have to kind of spend some time on on working on that.
0: Do, Do you think women can get over any kind of body image issues or is it kind of a thing that you kind of quiet down to a point where it doesn't affect you on an everyday basis?
1: I think it really depends on the person. I mean, I think some people it's going, you know, you can try to hide it away, but unless you really do the work to get past it, it's kind of always there. Um, but I think too, over as we age, I mean, now I'm in my forties and and I look at things a little bit differently, you know, and I'm still hard on myself, but not like I used to be. It's now I'm like, you know what, you don't have to be, you know, a certain body fat percentage to, to look good. Like you, you just have to get out of your own head sometimes. And it's it can be quieted <laughs> for sure, um, but it takes work like anything else. So it, it, I guess it just depends on the person. But we do have this new movement, you know, where people are like, you know, be okay, like take up space and 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 be happy and and love yourself and and not always beat yourself up. So we're we're trying to really kind of through Girls Gone Strong really put a different voice out there on body image and and hopefully I mean I, I think we're we're seeing a shift in that a little bit. So maybe it'll just continue.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Cause like I send every woman I train like to go to girls dot com Cause it's like one of the best resources out there. And I've been following like probably girls gone strong since it started. And I'm like, man, these women are just killing it. So it's like the best thing for anyone that I train. just go over there and go check it out.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, so very last question. Cause it's already been an hour. Um, tell the audience where they can find you online. If you have any like products coming out or speaking engagements, just plug away.
1: Um, sure. Let's see, gosh, where am I next? Um, I'm kind of all over the best, I guess, place place to know when and where, and I'm at as far as workshops and speaking and stuff like that is through my website. I try to update that as much as possible. So that's just coach And, um, as far as products, I am working on a new product. I thought I'd already have it out, but it's, uh, Taking a little bit of time, but it's going to be an e-product that's going to be kettlebells and body weight specific. So people that are getting ready for a certification or wanting to keep up some of their, um, for example, if they've gone through the SFG and they want to keep up their level one and prepare for their level two, or keep up both of those and focus on body weight, it's going to encompass all of that. So that's called refine. And hopefully I will have that out and be launching that, um, over the next month or so. And then outside of that, what I've done is creating, um, my, it's called coaching corner on my website. It's a membership site where basically those that just want someone to tell them what to do every day and don't necessarily want to be on a set program. They just want to work out of the day. I supply workouts every day for, um, less than, you know, a dollar a day. So it's really inexpensive place to just have someone tell you what to do and follow along. There's a video library there and, um, there's no contract. Like you can come and go as you choose. It's just like auto draft. And when you're done, you're done. You can just exit out. Or you can stay as long as you want. So that's something where I'm just basically trying to cover more ground with people that that need help but can't really afford um, a distance coach that is writing a specific program.
0: Awesome. That sounds amazing. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. This was amazing.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me. And, uh, yeah, I will – if you need any any of those videos, like you said, like we talked about earlier as far as attaching – um, you know a link to your post let me know but um, there's lots of great content out there and um, I've enjoyed um, having me, or or you having me on <laughs>
0: <laughs> alright so that's gonna wrap up episode 50 with Karen Smith hopefully you enjoyed that one and again please share this podcast hit me up on social media if you have any questions just ask away and a little um, heads up we're coming to a year anniversary for this podcast in august and i think what i'm going to do is set up the official cut the shit get fit t-shirt where you can purchase one and help support the show so keep an eye out for that and we'll see you guys next week